This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Um, we are continuing. This is part three in our series in the book of Ruth. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you've missed both parts one and two, uh, because part one was in the AM and part two was in the PM service. Uh, if you were only here for one of those two, I, I hope you caught up on the one you missed um, on the podcast. We did, we did remind you a few times that you should do that. Um, so, chapter three, I'm just going to jump in. Um, just want to say, uh, I'm glad Kids Church is on this week. Last week, Kids Church wasn't on because it was school holidays. Um, if you know Ruth chapter three, if you if you did a Bible study on it this week or something like that, um, you will know that this is the. Uh, it's a bit. Look, I got in trouble last week with this stuff, didn't I? Uh, in my kids' talk, I had a little slide up there. This is the sleepover chapter, uh, and they have a sleepover, and they're not married yet. Uh, so we kind of need to acknowledge that this is like a PG sermon. If there are kids that didn't go out to kids' church, you can still go. It's not too late. Um, otherwise, I will be acknowledging the existence of sex this morning. Uh, I'll put it that way. It's not, it's not M. It's not MA. It's just PG. It's just there, you know? Um, so, Ruth chapter 3. Uh, we pick up the story. Uh, the author says... Uh, this is just one day. We don't really know how much time has passed between the end of chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3. Uh, it can't be very long because at the start of chapter, at the start of chapter 2, we learned that it was the barley harvest time. And here in chapter 3, they are threshing the barley harvest. So we're looking at weeks later, not years later. Um, but some time has passed. Ruth has been uh, working in the field uh, of Boaz. She's been picking up the loose grain that was left on the ground and bundling it together like this. Uh, this is from Candy and Emmanuel's farm. Uh, isn't it nice? Yeah, it's a good little touch. Uh, it's not barley, so that's unfortunate. Because um, this is the barley harvest, this is wheat, but... No one knew that until I told you, did you? Um, us us uh, city slickers. So, let's read Ruth chapter 3. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 1 to 5, and they will be on the screen. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you, where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So Naomi has a plan. Naomi's decided we need to do something about our situation. We need to find safety and security. The plan is that Ruth needs to convince Boaz 
to marry her. That's, that's the goal here. Now, in our, in our world, in your life maybe, uh, convincing someone to marry you is a love story. It's romantic. It's lovely, isn't it? You know, you might ask someone out uh, for coffee. You might get to know each other. Uh, and then on one special day, you go and you buy a ring and you get down on one knee and you say, will you marry me? And they cry and it's beautiful, right? But this is not that story. Uh, this is 3,000 years ago. This is culturally worlds apart from our ideas and our experiences. And it takes a bit to kind of get your head around. What is going on here? Uh, we've kind of got this bizarre story, and it's bizarre in two different ways that are kind of hard to disentangle from each other. The first bizarreness of this is that it's 3,000 years ago, and they thought differently, and they did things differently. They had their own traditions, their own frameworks, their own expectations around love and marriage and all that sort of stuff. But secondly, this wasn't the normal thing in their own context either. It was bizarre for them as well. And so we've got these two levels of bizarreness going on, and some aspects of Naomi's plan are weird just to us, but were okay for them, and some parts of it are weird for them as well. Two layers of weirdness. So how is this working? Uh, I've, I've written it down for myself so I can get this right. Here's what I think Naomi's thinking. Naomi's thinking, Boaz is a single man. He's fairly well off. He owns land. He's got people working for him. He's, he's probably got plenty of money. So he is able to provide for Ruth and for herself. He's a good man. He does what is right. He's proven that in the previous chapter and probably in the intervening weeks between the two. Uh, that he, he's a good man. He looks after Ruth. Uh, he, he provides for her. He, he does his duty toward her uh, as a poor woman gleaning in, her, in his field, but also as, as a relative. Uh, and so, the plan is like this. It's winnowing night. Uh, winnowing is when you, you take the grain that looks a bit like this, except it's barley, and you want to get, uh, get the grain off the stalk. You don't want all this, you can't eat this stuff. You just want the grain itself. And so what you do is you, you bash it and you crush it and you knock it around and knock the grain out, but it's still all mixed together. So then on a windy night... When the sea breeze comes in, in, the, in Bethlehem, up off the, off the sea, you stand in a really exposed spot with a really hard stone floor and you throw, I'm not going to do it now, you throw everything in the air and all of the grain is heavy and it drops back down onto the ground and all of the chaff, all of the mess that you don't eat, that you don't want, gets caught by the wind and blows over there. And so you end up with grain here and chaff all out, out, out there. And you sweep that up eventually and, and burn it and it's, it's done. Uh, so that's why they do it at night. 
because that's when you get the strong prevailing wind come in, the late afternoon and into the evening. So they work, the winnowers work uh, on the winnowing floor into the late evening, and then when they're finished, well, it's the evening, they've been working hard, it's time to have a bit of a party. They have a meal, uh, they have some wine, uh, they have a good time. And then, you know, it's too late to walk home in the dark, so we'll just camp out on the threshing floor. So Naomi's plan is that Ruth should sneak in late on in the party, scope out where Boaz has, has made his spot for the sleepover, and then sneak over in the dark when everyone's asleep and lie down at Boaz's feet, and then just wait. Sit there and wait for him to wake up, and he's going to tell her what to do. She dresses up in her best clothes. She washes herself, she perfumes herself. She's dressing up like a bride. They didn't have white bride's dresses. You just wore your best clothes to get married in, in those days. So she's dressing like a bride to kind of give a hint, visually, smelly, what's that word? Olfactorily. Um, she wants to look like a bride, to plant the idea in his head, hey, this could be my wife. She's offering herself to him as a wife, inviting him, even enticing him. Can I say that in church? Is that all right? It's kind of scandalous. It's supposed to be a bit of a scandalous story, what's going on here. And the author just puts it out there unapologetically. He's not trying to like hide anything about what's going on here. He just says it like it is, which I like. I appreciate that. Uh, normally, a woman's father would go and visit a man's family, and they'd all get together, and they'd have a meal, and they'd discuss how much is the dowry going to be, when's this all going to happen, and they'd plan the wedding before they even told the kids they were getting married to each other. That was normal. This is weird. <laughs> Do we get that? <laughs> I know both of those are weird to us, but bear with me. In this culture, there wasn't really a framework for a woman to ask a man to marry her. But she needs a man. She needs a husband, and she doesn't have anyone to organize it for her. So she needs to find this, this way around the cultural norms. So she puts herself in this really dangerous situation. This is a, a really vulnerable spot that she's putting herself in. What is Boaz going to tell her to do? You know, Naomi says, he will tell you what to do. He will tell you what to do. Well, what is he going to tell her what to do? He could tell her anything. All the power is in his hands at this moment. And none of it belongs to Ruth. Hopefully, Boaz will prove to be as honourable as he seems to be. Hopefully. If he were not, he might take advantage of her. He might, after taking advantage of her, refuse to marry her. He might tell his mates what's happened, and no one will want to marry her. But if he's honourable, he will understand her intentions, he will honour her, and he will marry her. 
He will give both Ruth and Naomi a home and protection and provision and a hope for the future. This is their one shot, but the dangers are real. The tension is building. Let's see what happens. Let's keep reading. It's exciting, isn't it? What a story. I've lost my uh, page. Hang on. So, Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Anyone spot what happened there? Did she really do everything Naomi told her to do? Did she follow the plan perfectly? Almost, right up until the key moment. She was supposed to lie there and wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. And when he wakes up, she says, I'm going to tell you what to do. I like that. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are the guardian redeemer of our family. Uh, There's a lot in that one sentence that needs explaining. Uh, There's kind of two things, cultural things here that you need to understand. The first one is, spread the corner of your garment over me, which is weird. (laughs) Like it has a physical, practical reality, but it's actually symbolic. It's a symbolic act that she's asking him to do. It's symbolic language. It basically means, make me your wife. And yes, it does have a kind of sexual undertone to it, like, welcome me into your bed. But also, it's about more than that. Uh, Because that word, which the translators have done a good job of saying garment and not blanket, is is good. Uh, Because you wouldn't sleep, in this context, on a sleepover, you wouldn't sleep under a blanket, you'd sleep under your cloak that you would wear during the day. Uh, and so the thing that, he is, that she's asking for the corner of is the cloak that he wears all the time. Uh, it's about the man bringing the woman into his home and into his family and into his life, not just bringing her into his bed. The garment represents protection and provision and, and even his name and his reputation, his status, his, his territory, if you want. She's saying, spread your territory out and make room in it for me. He spreads it over her and brings her into his world. It's beautiful, isn't it? And that second phrase, guardian redeemer of our family, uh, is... The Hebrew word goel, which if you were here last week, you already know that word, you know what it means, so good for you. Um, It's a technical word used in this culture um, 
for a man's privileges and duties over the family of his deceased male relative. That's a very technical definition, isn't it? Basically, if a man died, uh, then it was up to his male relatives to take over from him in all different kind of ways. I, I had a little look at this week to give you a more exhaustive list of all the Goel um, implications. Here are the, the duties and privileges. Uh, you look after his name and his honour. You purchase his fields. You marry his wife. That's in Ruth. You've seen those two. Uh, you bring up his children for him. You pay off his debts for him. You avenge his murder if necessary, if that's how he died. If, uh, if his destitute children or widow have been forced to sell themselves into slavery, you must redeem them and buy back their freedom. The Goel, the guardian redeemer, is, is all of these things. And in different contexts, it means different things. For different men and women in different families, it means different things. Uh, but Ruth is saying to Boaz, I want you to honor this by marrying me and taking Naomi as your mother as well. Bring our families together. Bring these two destitute women into his house and his family to look after the name and honour of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, uh, provide them with a family, provide Naomi with grandchildren and Ruth with a child. So yes, as I said, it's more, a lot, lot, lot more complicated than just a love story. Uh, so let's see part three. Here we go, verses 10 to 13. Here is how Boaz responds. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. The people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Well, that's a relief, isn't it? Um, if you've read the book before, you probably don't feel the relief in quite the same way. Uh, or if you, like me, are a 21st century Australian, you probably also don't quite realise the gravity of this moment. How is he going to respond? Is he going to do what she asked? Uh, and not only does he do what she asked, he responds in this beautiful speech. This is the most he's said in the whole book so far. This speech where he blesses her and he, uh, he thanks her for her kindness when she's the one asking for so much from him. He is a good man, isn't he? He promises to do what she's asked, to marry her as Goel, to redeem her and Ruth and make them his family. He calls her a woman of noble character, 
uh, and he tells her to stay here for the night. Uh, but there's no hint in that from the author that, that they did anything, um, apart from sleeping. Um, this is another offer of safety and protection. It's not safe for her to walk home now, in the middle of the night, in the dark. Uh, she needs to stay uh, until the first light. And so he's going to protect her until morning. And so, she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, he said, she said, he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then she went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. I think Naomi's pretty happy uh, that everything went according to plan. She stays safely till the morning. He protects her honor by sending her away before anyone else wakes up. And he provides, again, uh, even more barley. Um, but I think this time the provision is kind of a, a foretaste of what he's going to provide for her in marriage when he brings her into his family, which we'll hear about tonight in chapter 4. So... What is this all about? <laughs> this bizarre situation, this strange story, so ancient, so foreign, so unusual to us. Well, we've said from the beginning of the book of Ruth that the book of Ruth is a story of redemption. And I think that this chapter helps us, particularly at this moment in the book, uh, to look back on the first three chapters together and see this thread of this theme of redemption running all through the story. Ruth needs redeeming from her situation. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz is the redeemer, the guardian redeemer. Here is the moment of redemption that beautiful speech that he gives when he promises, if it is in my power to do it, I mean, obviously this other guy is the first writer of Goel, but after him, I will do what's right, I will redeem you. But, I think we can say even more than that. Because I think that actually, uh, the way in which the book of Ruth is a story of redemption is so complex and multifaceted. And there's kind of themes of redemption bouncing around and, and they're all mixed up and mushed up together. Uh, one of the things I love about the Old Testament is the way that the authors craft these stories that are so intricate and so multifaceted. And you read it once and you go, ah, oh, I got a lot out of that. 
And then you go back and you read it again and you go, oh, I saw all these things I missed the first time. And then you read it a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. You come back a decade later and you go through it again. And these things jump out at you over and over, these layers upon layers. Think about this. Here we have Ruth and Naomi, these two women who need a new life. They need redemption. That's what redemption means. I mean, literally, redemption means buying a slave out of slavery and buying their freedom back. But in the Bible, it's so, it's, that idea is taken and expanded and often ends up being about new life or new family. These women have both lost husbands, they're both poor and vulnerable. And in chapter one, Naomi redeems Ruth. Before Boaz is even on the scene, here is Ruth, a Moabite. She doesn't know about God, Yahweh, the the Israelite God. She has the Moabite gods. Uh, But she marries into this family and she meets this mother-in-law who changes her life to such a degree that she cannot bear to be parted from her. And she says, I have to go with you. I have to be with you. Your God is my God. So your people will be my people. Your life will be my life. She has been redeemed out of the love of Naomi. She's devoted herself to God. That is redemption. And then in chapter 2, the, the script is flipped. Uh, in chapters 2 and 3, Ruth is using her time and energy for Naomi. First, in chapter 2, by gleaning in the field so that they can eat. Here is Naomi, who is is destitute and, I think, probably depressed. Uh, And Ruth takes care of her. And in chapter 3, Ruth uses her courage and her youthfulness to bring a man into their lives who will provide security and provide a family for them. Naomi cannot do that. She's too old, she says, to get married again and to have children again. Uh, and so Ruth takes this upon herself. Ruth redeems Naomi. And uh, tonight, when Lewis preaches in chapter 4, we'll see Boaz finishing the work of redeeming these two women as their Goel, as their guardian redeemer. So there's this kind of complicated, interwoven, reciprocal redemption stuff going on all through the book of Ruth. Uh, It's not as simple as just saying, Boaz is the redeemer, isn't that nice? (laughs) No. And what it makes me think is that God, as our redeemer, is, uh, is seen in all these types of redemption that happen through the book. Through Jesus, like Naomi redeeming Ruth, we have come to know God and have devoted ourselves to Him. I hope that's true for you. I hope that's been your experience, that as you've met Jesus, you've understood who God is. He has done what Naomi did for Ruth and brought you into relationship with the God of the Bible the same God that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz worshipped. And then his redemption is uh, like Ruth redeeming Naomi. 
courageous and bold, giving himself over, putting himself in harm's way. Not just the threat of potential danger, which Ruth was willing to risk, but an actual violent death on the cross. He went to that place to redeem us, a great sacrifice of death on the cross, to bring us into a family, to bring us into God's family, along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can call God our Father. See, redemption for Jesus is more than just a rescue. It's a welcome home. It's a a spreading of the corner of the garment. He offers us protection, provision, reputation, status, territory, family, honour, and a life of hope. They're all the things I said before were were symbolised in that spreading of the corner of the garment. But they all apply to Jesus and His redemption for us. Do you want me to read them again? uh, Protection, provision, reputation. We get to be called Christians. Status, territory. We get to be in the kingdom of God. Family, honour, a new life of hope. It's a wonderful story. The wonder of God's redemption story for us. Just as we've enjoyed this marvellous and strange redemption story uh, in Ruth, uh, I hope for you it helps you to reflect on the wonderful redemption story for us in Jesus. I'd like to invite the band to come on up, um, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate. Uh, I think it's only the right response uh, to, as we contemplate, as we gaze upon uh, the redemption that we have in Jesus, uh, the right response is to worship Him and to celebrate what He has done for us. Uh, so the band have picked a song to help us to do that, um, and I'll... How about I pray, and then I'll give you the mic. (laughs) Lord God, uh, we we praise you this morning. We praise you for your redemption. We praise you for your love for us and your sacrifice for us. Lord, uh, we are in awe of you and your great love. Lord, I pray that as we sing, uh, but also as we go into our week and into our lives, that we can celebrate who you are and what you have done, that you bring us home, uh, that you make us family, that you call us your children, you invite us to call you Father God. You give us new life and hope and a, a life in your kingdom, a life that never ends, in a kingdom that never ends. We praise you for all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. 
To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.